Hey, this is David Perkins, pastor of Radiant Church. Thanks so much for checking out our podcast. I hope and I pray that the content helps you grow as a follower of Jesus. We'd love to see you at one of our services on Sundays or maybe at our Bold Conference this summer. Remember this, those who look to Him are radiant. That's amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you. You can be seated. Oh my goodness, that's amazing. He told me, yeah, everyone's going to freak out that you're a giant. And I was like, I know, man. So, and they sent me an awesome hoodie. Like, I want to just thank the team, Nate, and, and everyone who was just incredible in their hospitality. But they sent me a large uh, hoodie. And I was like, bro, that's when I was like 10 years old. Tell David that <laughs> Michigan people are huge. I need like a 2X. So, uh, anyway, it is such a, a joy and honor for me to be here. This is seriously... Um, you don't even know what a privilege it is for me to share the pulpit with Pastor David. He, he literally is a hero of mine. As he said, we, we've known each other for over 15 years. Uh, we did youth ministry together. So I took students to the Desperation Conference. And um, I'm one of the, if you were here last week, Pastor Dave talked about the youth pastors who are uh, strung out on drugs and alcohol until they're so-and-so years old, and then they encounter the Lord. And uh, I was one of those. So literally, at that point in my life, I was a new, newer Christian. I was new into leadership. And just to have a, a David Perkins, he probably doesn't even know the impact um, he had on me, the mentorship that um, he provided for me. And, and so we, we walked together, and then and all of a sudden I blink, and he's out of youth ministry, and he stole our church name. So that's all I know uh, that happened <laughs> from there. But at least I, uh, if I say Radiant Church, it'll just roll off my tongue because uh, I've been on staff at Radiant in, in Kalamazoo since 2000. And, and four, so over 15 years. And um, man, I, when Dave called me, I was like, bro, why, why do you want me to speak at your church? Like, you actually know famous people. And, uh, and he, he was, uh, so anyway, I was just hugely honored. It's a um, huge joy to be here. And my wife has, Dave said, is here, Kendra. And then we have three children. I just want to share one other thing. I have a 15 and 13 and uh, year old daughter and then a six year old son. And, and I know many of you volunteered and helped with the Bold Conference and hundreds of volunteers, Dave told me. I just want you to know a, a testimony. Our 15 year old daughter came back and was just so incredibly impacted. She received her prayer language. I mean, the Lord, the Lord encountered her in a way that's never happened in our lives. So, geez, I'm going to cry about it. But from the depth of our hearts as parents, thank you for everyone. Uh, who invested into the Bold Conference in particular, it is bearing fruit even today. So thank you so much um, for that. And my daughter, Ava, thanks you. She's still the reason I have all these gray hairs, but she does love uh, <laughs> the Lord. So if you brought your Bibles, I want you to turn to um, Luke chapter 5. And if you didn't bring your Bibles, you should. Uh, and, and you should bring a notebook. I heard that if you take notes in church, you're 27% more likely to go to heaven. I don't know if that's true. <laughs> But I heard it on the internet, so it's probably true. Uh, true story, I had a whole different message. Like when, when Dave, David called me like a couple months ago, and I was like, okay. And then I had this, I felt, I prayed, and I felt like the Lord wanted me to share this message I am going to share, but I didn't really want to share. I wanted to share a different message that I felt like was more polished. You know, you're going somewhere and you're like, I want, I want it to be something I'm, I'm really connected with. And so I literally was like, no, I'm doing this message. And then I listened to you guys on Pastor David on podcasts. So um, I heard some of the ones where he was talking about, you know, seeking the Lord and in your personal time. And then I took a couple uh, weeks off, you know, because you can only handle Pastor David so much. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, 
But no, I'm kidding. I'm mowing my lawn on Friday. I'm listening to his last week's sermon, and it's literally like the sermon that I had prepared, like his, his go out or get in it and go do it or something like that. And so I was like, oh man, do I want to, I think his is actually better. Do I want to still preach mine? And so I felt like the Lord was saying, I want you to go back to the message I told you to in the first place um, to, to speak. So that's what we're doing. So if it's not good or if it's not for you, just lie and tell David it was so I can come back at some point. All right, Luke chapter five, let's pray real quick. Father, we do ask that, or we sang that the atmosphere changes when your presence here. And God, it is your presence that still heals and saves and delivers and sets free. And God, that's the miracle that happens when we are confronted with the grace and the goodness of God. So I pray for that in this room right now. Holy Spirit, minister to every single heart. You promised your word would not return void, but that it would accomplish all that you sent it out to do, God. So we ask, let your word come alive in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the message is, how does God see us when we fail? <laughs> and this is why I didn't want to preach it, because I'm like, I don't want to go to a church I've never been to and talk about this is what happens when you fail, but I'm supposed to. So uh, I'm going to read the first 11 verses in Luke 5. It says this, on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in to hear the word of God, he, Jesus, was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone onto them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took in nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish so that their nets were breaking. And they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled both the boats so that they actually began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they'd taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And it says, And Jesus said to Simon Peter, Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything, and they followed him. This is our introduction to Peter, who's going to kind of be our main focus uh, in the message today. And so this is the first time that Jesus is introduced to Peter. So the Bible says that he's teaching, large crowds are gathering. Uh, Simon and his partners had been fishing. They're cleaning their nets. They didn't catch anything. And Jesus actually gets into their boat, and he begins to teach the multitudes. And so the water would provide like a, a natural amplifier. And, and so that's how they taught back then. And it says that as he was teaching them, when he was done, he told Simon, Peter, to launch out into the deep, uh, that there's another catch waiting for you. Now, Simon had been cleaning his nets, and there must have been something that Jesus was saying to the people that caught Peter's attention, because otherwise, he would have said, you know, fishing, when you just came back, you caught nothing, and you're already cleaning your nets, going back out would not have been a good idea in the natural. It wouldn't have made sense. Peter could have easily been like, you know, how about no, you know? <laughs> you're, G, G, you're a carpenter, right? Yeah, so maybe don't tell me how to fish and I won't tell you how to build a cabinet. How's that work? You know, that, that could have been Peter's response, but there was something and he said, okay, nevertheless, we, we caught nothing, we toiled all night, but I'll go at your word. And so there's a miracle that happens. And so he encounters the power of God. There's this miracle catch and, and Peter's response is not like, yeah, high five, you're my new fishing buddy. He falls down on his knees, and he says, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. The same response John had 
on the island of Patmos, the same response Isaiah had in, in chapter six when he saw the glory of God. You're, you're overcome with your own sinfulness and with the own power of Jesus in that moment. And Jesus says, don't be afraid. I've called you and you're gonna be a fisher of men. This, your life is gonna change from here. And then when you read the rest of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see you get to know more about Peter. And Peter was one of those guys who was kind of a, a ready fire aim kind of a guy. You know, he would open his mouth and put his foot in directly. He was very brash, very bold, very outspoken. And, and, and it worked for him some of the time. I mean, if you look at his life, he was one of the three disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus's glory was revealed. He was the only one that got out of the boat when Jesus said, I want you guys to walk on water. And maybe the crowning achievement for, for Peter was in Matthew 16 when Jesus said to his disciples, who are, who are people saying that I am? And they said, you know, some say John the Baptist and some say Elijah or one of the prophets. And, and Jesus said, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter jumped in. He said, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my father who's in heaven. And I'm gonna call you Peter, which means rock. And it's on this revelation that I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell aren't going to prevail against it. And Peter was probably like, yes, nailed it. You know, mm, 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 calling out the other disciples. This was like his crowning moment in his life. But then Peter also had some, some times where he didn't get it right. You know, he chopped an ear off of one of the guards in the garden. Right after that moment in Matthew 16, Jesus talks about how he's going to go to the cross. And Peter says, no, 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 that's not going to happen to you. That's not the plan. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. And then maybe the, the thing that Peter unfortunately might be most known for is that he was the one who denied Jesus three times when he was arrested. Even people who don't go to church, don't really know the Bible, they know that about Peter. He's the one who denied Jesus. So you remember, Peter, before that, was brash again, outspoken, unprovoked. He said, Jesus, I don't know about all these other guys, these other disciples. They'll probably bail on you. They're not as committed, but I am going through to the end. Whatever it takes, whatever it costs, I'm there. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And I don't know if Peter even heard that, but he was just like, no, I'm in. And then we know the story. Jesus is arrested. It's at night. Judas betrays him, one of their good friends and disciples. There's confusion, there's chaos. The Bible says that the disciples are following Jesus as he was arrested from a distance. And Peter finds himself in a courtyard and he's warming his, his hands by a charcoal fire, the Bible says. And some people come up to him. So you, you look like you're, you're one of those who are with Jesus. No, no, I don't know. I don't know them. Someone else comes up. So you, you have a Galilean accent. Surely you were, you're, you're one that was, no. No, I don't even know who these people are. And then a young girl comes up to him and says, I saw you. And he starts calling down curses. I don't know the man. I don't know what you're talking about. And then the rooster crows. And the Bible says in Luke 22, Luke's account, that in that moment, Peter made eye contact with Jesus from across the courtyard. And Peter has to deal with the reality that he failed. Jesus, his friend, his savior, his teacher, the one he walked with for three years. He has to come to grips with the fact that his decisions didn't line up with what he knew was true, with what he, he said he was going to do. And the Bible, the last verse of chapter 22 says that he went out and he wept bitterly. And that's the last that we really hear about Peter for a while. So as I said, I want to talk about 
What does it look like for us when we let Jesus down? When we fail, when our words, our actions, our thoughts aren't lining up with what we know is true, with what we know is God? How are we going to respond in those moments? It reminds me of the story, the, the Lion King movie. We can all agree Lion King is the greatest Disney movie ever created, right? Okay, yes. If you don't think that's true, you can be wrong. It's fine. But it is, without a doubt. And what happens in that movie, remember Scar, uh, or, or Mufasa tells Simba, hey, I don't want you to go to the Shadowlands. That's, that's not part of our, you know, kind of our kingdom. And then Scar, the enemy, comes in and he says, oh, only brave lions go to the Shadowlands. So what does Simba do? He goes there. And there's that massive stampede, wildebeest, and, and Mufasa has to come and try to save him. And there's all this, you know, commotion. And he's grabbing him and he throws him up on a rock, his son Simba. And then he reaches up with his claws and he's trying to get out of the way and sees Scar. He's like, my brother. And then, psh. Are you guys riveted by my storytelling ability? Okay, good. And he falls, right? And he gets trampled on. And then it cuts to this scene. Literally, every time I see it, I cry. Maybe I'm just an emotional person, but... Simba comes down, the, the string music is playing, you know, it's, and there's Mufasa just lying there. And he comes up to him, you know, and he like pushes on him, Dad, get up. Come on, we got to go home now. I'm going to cry right now. Okay. <laughs> we got to go home now. And he's not getting up, right? And then what happens? The enemy, Scar, shows up. Look what you've done, you know, and he, it was an accident. I didn't mean for it. And, oh, no one ever means for this to happen, I know, but the king is dead. If it wasn't for you, he would be alive, right? And, and what does he say to do? He tells Simba, run, just go, run. And he takes off and he just starts running away from his destiny, from the call of God in his life. He doesn't become a terrible lion. He doesn't become Scar Jr., right? He has a couple, you know, kind of a pot of moments or whatever it is, right? He, he's... He's, but he's miles away from the destiny and the calling and the future that God had for him. And it's because he didn't know how to deal with his failure. And now Peter's in that position. And that's where all of us are at some point in our lives, is that we have to deal with, how do we, how do we get over our past? I guarantee you, there's people in this room where the enemy's whispering in your ear. God, can't, God might love you and you might be a Christian, but God can't really use you. You have too many issues too much that's happened. You're still struggling with that divorce. You're still struggling from that relationship. You still have that pornography issue or that anger issue or that whatever it is, that issue at work. And the enemy just comes in and he doesn't necessarily try to get us to, to turn from God completely. He just tries to get us to stay in a shallow place in our Christianity to just sort of check a box, to just sort of say, I'll come to church, and, and I still believe this, but there's that gnawing feeling that, man, I, I can't get over this hump, or I can't deal with that issue the way that I want to, and we find ourselves running from the destiny that God has for us. And, and listen, our social media platforms and worlds don't make it any easier. We don't like to have to deal with failure. We don't like to have to deal with issues. And that's the beauty of social media, is you just put your highlight scenes on there, right? You get the kids together and you get them to stop hitting each other for two seconds, right? And you take a picture. We love each other. We're at Chick-fil-A because we're Christian like that. And this is our awesome lives. And then as soon as you're done, it's like, I hate you. He touched me. And we go back to, and, and we do the same thing in church. We just kind of come in and, and, and we put the masks on right away. 
And we say, well, I might have issues, but I'm not going to bring them up here, and I'm not going to you know, be transparent, and I can't really be vulnerable because we want church to be a lot more like a country club than a hospital too often. And Jesus said, I came for the sick, not for the, not for the well. I came to seek and save the lost. And so I just I feel like the enemy is just preying, really, on people in their weaknesses. And so I want to talk about what does that look like for us today? Because it's not unique to have issues. Um, sometimes we think, we, like you read you know, Hebrews 11, the faith chapter, and you think, man, it's almost a, a, a temptation to deify some of the people in the Bible that, that, that they talk about. I want to remind you, every single person that God has used in powerful ways has issues. Every single one. It, raise your hand in here if you've ever had an issue. Awesome. Raise your other hand if you've ever felt like you've disappointed God. Now slide to the left. Two hops this time. I'm just kidding. We don't have to do that. All of us have issues. You, you look at Abraham, the father of our faith. God, God established Christianity on him. And he, and he rushed the promise of God and he had an Ishmael. You look at Moses. Spoke to God face to face like a friend. In a moment of anger, he killed an Egyptian man. You look at David. God said he's a man after my own heart. David didn't say that. God said that about David. And we know the story. He had an affair with Bathsheba and he had her husband Uriah killed. You look at the, the Sauls of Tarsus who you know, held the garments of the people who stoned Stephen, the first martyr. And God used all of these people in mighty ways. And so if you don't remember anything else, remember that just because you have issues doesn't disqualify you from being used in the kingdom of God. It's so important. You don't have to be perfect to be great in God's kingdom. And that's the beauty of grace. And I'm not saying it doesn't matter how we live. I'm not saying it doesn't matter what we do. Of course it does. Everything we do and say matters. But the enemy wants you to believe that it's been too long, you've gone too far, and that God can't use you the way that he can use other people. And it's simply not true. So I want to look at the, the story of Peter's restoration. And I want to just tie it in, and I hopefully want to encourage you with that. So I want you to go to John chapter 21, and we're going to look at what happens to Peter in this moment of weakness when he's reunited with Jesus. So in John chapter 21, verse 1, it says, After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. So this is the, the, the reuniting of the disciples with Jesus. And if you read chapter Mark, six, Mark chapter 16, it's so interesting. Mary goes to the tomb. The stone's rolled away. Jesus' body is gone. An angel meets her and says, he's not here. He's risen. And what she, the angel says to Mary is so important. Mary Magdalene says, go and tell the disciples and Peter to meet him by the sea of Canaan. He said the disciples and Peter, because I don't know if he had just said the disciples, if Peter would have gone. Peter might have thought, you know, that's for the guys who didn't deny Jesus three times. That's for the people who didn't do what I did. But the angel made sure, tell the disciples and Peter. So they're there, they're in this boat, and Peter makes this declaration, I'm going fishing. And that doesn't mean, hey, let's kill some time and bring a few smallmouth bass in the boat. No, fishing was what he did. It was his career. It was his life. And what Peter was saying in that confession is, I'm going back to the person I was before Jesus called me. 
I'm going back to what's comfortable. I'm going back to what I, I'm actually qualified to do. There may have been a time where, 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 where Jesus said, I'm a fisher of men, and where Jesus had something else planned for me, but, but I blew that. And so I'm, gonna, I'm gonna just going to go back to fishing. I'm going to distract myself with work and with... And, and fishing, again, it's not a bad thing. It's not bad to be a fisherman. But he knew that it was not what God had actually called him to do. And today in 2019, we have too many Christians that just sort of check a box about coming to church and just sort of like, you know, come and go through the motions and and we distract ourselves with work and other priorities because we don't believe that God can actually use us to impact the world. And that's what Peter was dealing with. He was dealing with failure. And I'm telling you, it happens to pastors too. Probably not David, he's perfect, but most pastors still have those issues. It's not like I became a pastor and, and, and everything, you know, like all of a sudden I glow in the dark, you know, and every traffic light's green on the way to work. And, you know, my kids, when I get home, just lie down before me and say, how can we serve you, masterful father? I mean, we have issues too, and, and we don't always get it right. I told my church um, about 10 years ago, I was at a... Meyer, it, it, I don't know what they're called here, like a Walmart grocery store. And I'm in the checkout line. And uh, I'm in the self-checkout one. Even though there was 400 people in it, you still feel like it's going to be faster than depending on someone else. You know what I'm saying? So I'm sitting there. It's a huge line. There's a lady in front of me. And I'm like a seven on the Enneagram. I'll talk to anybody. So I tried to make a joke. And I was like, wow, is there like a Six Flags roller coaster up there we're waiting for or something? And uh, she didn't laugh. And, but, you know, that never discourages me. So... I kept talking to her, and she was like, yeah, I know, this line's really long, especially because I have a bad back. And I was like, I thought it was weird that she said that, but then I really felt like the Lord was telling me, you're supposed to pray for her back, like to heal her back. And again, this is over 10 years ago. I'm a newer Christian. I am a pastor, but like not a good one at that point. So I'm, <laughs> I'm nervous. I'm like, is that the Lord? Uh, and I'm kind of wrestling with this idea, like, do I want to do that? This is, this is weirder than I wanted God using me to be. Uh, and I'm trying to, like, in my head, figure out what is that even going to look like, you know? I'm, I mean, I might put my hand up on her hip, and when I pray, she dips, we dip. Is that how this is going to, I mean, <laughs> I'm just kidding. But I honestly, I'm like, how am I, is this going to work? And I talked myself out of it, and I didn't do it. And I had like a Peter regret, I'm going fishing moment. I'm like, I shouldn't even be a pastor. I'm scared. I get up every week and tell people, be bold. And then I can't even pray for a lady in Meyer. And, and I just guilt and condemnation and shame. And, and, and I battled that for a while and not just in that. But so I just want to encourage you, when you look at the heroes of our faith, they all have to overcome things. We can't be overcomers if there's nothing to overcome. And, and a huge part of that is, is the lies that the enemy tells us. So he says, we're going fishing. And the other disciple says, we'll go with you. And they went out and got in the boat, but they caught nothing. And just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus, which is crazy, because Jesus seemed to do that all the time. I don't know how they didn't know it was Jesus, but he always did that after he was resurrected. Remember, Mary was like, thought he was a gardener, and I don't know if he was like trimming bushes, and he just like, you know, rode that out for a while, but she was like... Do you know where Jesus, who are you looking for, is what he said to Mary. And it's like, Jesus knows who Mary's looking for. And she says, Jesus. And then he's like, it's I. And she's like, ah, and she freaks out. And then in Luke 24, there's two disciples walking with Jesus on the road to Emmaus, and they don't recognize that it's him. 
And he's like, what's going on? And they're like, what? Are you the only one who doesn't know? Know what? About Jesus. No, tell me more about my own death, burial, and resurrection. <laughs> and they explain it to him. And he doesn't reveal. And then he's like, I got to go. And they're like, please, just come have dinner with us. He's like, okay, fine. Then they eat dinner. And they break bread. And he's like, it is I. And they're like, ah! And they freak out. And they run like seven miles to Jerusalem to tell the disciples, we just saw Jesus. And he didn't tell us it was him, which was weird, but it was him. And then... It says Jesus walks through the wall of the room that they're in and is like, peace. You know, he goes all King James on them and freaks them all out. So that's what Jesus does. And they don't recognize that it's him. And then Jesus says, children, do you have any fish? And they're like, no. We're terrible at fishing. We're bad at everything. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find fish. So they did it. And they weren't able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. Does that sound familiar? It's exactly what we read in Luke chapter 5. It's the miracle that Jesus showed Peter when he called him into ministry. And after Peter's worst moment, worst failure, Jesus recreated the miracle that he called him with originally. As a way of saying, look, it's not about you. It's not your performance. It's not how good you are. It's how good I am. And the same God who called you into ministry in Luke chapter five, before your worst moments, the same God who says the gifts and callings of mine are irreproachable. Like you cannot run from the calling of God. And so he recreates this moment and this miracle. And obviously Peter understands that, what just happened. And so then it says, then the disciple whom Jesus loved, which is the author of this book, which is amazing. <laughs> he couldn't just say, and then I, and like use a pronoun, he had to be like the disciple that Jesus actually loved, <laughs> said to Peter, it's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. I love that. When, when, G, when Peter recognizes Jesus and he's calling me, he just jumped in after him. And he put clothes on before he jumped in, which is a little weird, but he put on his outer garment and he didn't swan dive. It wasn't graceful. He just fell in and he started swimming towards Jesus. And honestly, that's my prayer for anyone in this room today who feels like you've blown the call of God. God's not for you. You can't actually be used by God. Is that the call, the draw of Jesus would just cause you to forget everything else, jump into the waters of his love and swim toward the presence of God. That's what Peter did in that moment. And then John digs at him again and says, the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the fish, because they weren't very far from land, you know, only 100 yards. So the rest of them just rode like four more times and were like, go, Peter. <laughs> You're a good swimmer. You can make it. Just keep swimming. Okay, when they got out, verse 9, when they got out on land, listen to this, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net wasn't torn. And Jesus said, come and have breakfast. So they get out on land, Peter's swimming, the rest are in the boat. They get out and there's a charcoal fire that's burning. So the first thing Jesus does in our failure is he reestablishes the relationship. So what he did with Peter he said, look, I'm going to show you the same miracle, the same love, the same grace is there from when I called you, also when you failed. It's not contingent on you. But then Peter gets in shore and he sees a charcoal fire. And the reason that's important is because charcoal fire is only mentioned two times in scripture. And all the times that fire 
is mentioned. The only other time a charcoal fire is referred to is the one that Peter was warming his hands over in the courtyard. And so Jesus made the exact same fire that was there in Peter's weakest moment. And so he reestablishes the relationship through the miracle, but he also says we got to deal with the issues at hand. We have to be transparent about what we did and about how we're going to move on from here. And so often as Christians, when we blow it, when we mess it up, we just kind of want to scratch it, forget about it, maybe sleep on it, start over, pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. I'll do better next time. And, and it's never about that. It's about a humble and a contrite heart that comes before the Lord and says, God, I need mercy. I need grace. I'm not, I can't do it in my own strength. I need the power of the Holy Spirit, the grace of God. And that's what Jesus was showing Peter. Remember, Peter was the one who said, I don't know about these other guys, but I'll never leave you. I'll never. And, and in his own strength, he couldn't do it. And so Jesus says, look, we got to talk about it. Let's, let's talk about what happened. I get it. You, you didn't want that. And that's not who you are. And that's not your identity. And the enemy comes in and says, you know, what you've done is who you are. And what Jesus says is, no, what I've done is who you are. And we have to be able to see through the lens of the grace of God, the blood, shed blood of Jesus Christ. And so there's a charcoal fire. And it says, go get the fish. And Simon went and got him. Jesus said, come and have breakfast. You want to know how God responds to you and your failure? He makes you breakfast. Raise your hand if you have to make breakfast for people you don't like. <laughs> Besides your children. No, I'm just kidding. No one does that. When, when you spend time with someone, you make bread. That's what Jesus is conveying. Look, I want to be with you. I want to have a relationship with you. I'm not holding you at arm's length. I'm not dangling a carrot and saying, well, if you perform, you can have a relationship or you can draw near. Hebrews 4.16 says, come boldly before the throne of grace to obtain mercy and to find help in your time of need. The enemy, Scar, wants to say, run, never come back. This is your fault. And God says, no, jump in the waters of my grace. Swim towards my presence. And I'm telling you, there is restoration and healing and anointing and power in my presence, even when you fail. That's what he's saying to Peter. And so they eat breakfast together. And then the, the moment of truth is verse 15. When they'd finished breakfast. Jesus said to Simon Peter, so they're having a conversation now, and I don't know, Peter might have been nervous, might have been like, you know, oh, what am I going to say? How am I going to, how are we going to actually talk about this? And Jesus asked him this question. Simon, son of John, used his full name, which might have scared Peter. I don't know. It's like when your parents use your full name. John Henry Zondervan, oh no. <laughs> Do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep, feed my lamb, sorry. And then he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, then tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know everything and you know that I love you. And he said, feed my sheep. What's going on here? Is Jesus just being mean? Is he just rubbing it in? You know, Peter, do you love me? Yes. Well, I couldn't tell the other day, so I'll ask you one more time. <laughs> no, he's asking him, do you love me one time for every time that Peter denied him in that courtyard? Do you love me? Yes, I know you do. Then feed my lambs. Do you love me? Yes, I know. 
tend my sheep, what Jesus was doing. If Jesus wanted to condemn Peter, he would have pointed to his past, but he didn't. He said, I have something planned for you, Peter. I need you to get beyond this. I need you to move past this because there's lambs of mine that need to be fed. There's sheep that need to be tended. There's a call on your life that's still there. And when you read the book of Acts, you see thousands coming to the church daily because of Peter's boldness when the Holy Spirit came on him. You see his shadow healing people. You see him standing up before the Sanhedrin and preaching Christ boldly, all because of the reconciliation that happened in this moment when Jesus said, you're not defined by what you did. I know you love me. I know you're sorry. I know that's not who you are. Get up. Strengthen yourself in the Lord because there's a call on your life. You got to feed my sheep. You got to tend my lambs. You got to be a part. I'm leaving. I'm going to the Father, but the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and you're going to be used for my glory. And the same message that Jesus gives Peter, he gives to every single one of us in our weakness and in our failure. You guys bow your heads with me. I want to pray over you. And I just want to ask you in this room, the reason we close our eyes is not that it's holier or anything. It just creates space for you and the Lord. And that's all I want you to know is that God wants to speak to you. And I feel like there's some in this room who have over-identified with their past or with their mistakes and Jesus wants to give you a new identity. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says that in Christ you're a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. God wants to create something new in you. The enemy wants you to be defined by your mistakes and your failures. Jesus says, I created you. I define you. I am the one who can mark you with my love. All you have to do is ask. A humble and a contrite heart, the Bible says God has yet yet to deny. And if you're in this place and you know I need to make Jesus the Lord of my life, or you know I'm a prodigal, I've walked away from God, I, I've, I've thought I, I couldn't be loved, I couldn't be known, and you want to come back to God, he's here in this place. And all I want to do is pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you. This is between you and the Lord. But if you're here and you say, include me in that prayer, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to come back to the Father. I want you to just raise your hand right now in this room. Anyone that that, awesome, thank you, thank you. Keep your hand up. This is awesome. Between you and the Lord, thank you, sir. Thank you. Anyone else? Now's your time. Awesome. Put your hands down. Let's all pray this together. Everyone in this room, pray this out loud. Heavenly Father, I come in Jesus' name and I thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus to forgive my sins and to give me new life. I turn my back on my past. I no longer live for myself, but I choose to live for you. Fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your love. Fill me with your grace. In Jesus' name. And Father, I pray for every person in this room who is a Christian, who knows that they're going to heaven, but the enemy has tried to rob them of their testimony, rob them of the, the call that you have on their lives. And I silence 
the voice of the accuser, the voice that says you have to run, you can't draw near. And I say, God, let the arms of the Father be extended over every single person in this room. God, let relationship, let the love of God be more than just a term, but a reality in their lives. And Father, fill us with boldness, just as you did in Acts, God, that that people knew that those people had been with Jesus. That is our cry. That is our call, Father. We ask you, do what only you can do in every single heart and point us back to you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Thank you, Radiant Church.